You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke 22 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, one year ago, this, uh, on Sunday of this weekend, one year ago, I stood in the, this pulpit and I preached my first message as the installed pastor of Eastside Baptist Church. Uh, it's hard to believe it's already been a year. In some ways, it's hard to believe it's only been a year, but um, it was a year ago this weekend and uh, this has been a year of great blessings. Can I just say for our family... Um, this has been a year of great blessings, and I want to say to you, Eastside Baptist Church, we love you. We're beyond grateful for, the, for what the Lord has allowed us to enjoy this past year, and I think we can also say, say it's been a year of, of change, a lot of change, and I think, you know, a lot with Pastor Spencer and Miss Yvette faithfully serving here for almost 40 years, uh, it was no small change then to uh, have Eastside uh, bring in a new pastor, and especially a new family, one that you weren't very familiar with, and a guy that's never actually even pastored before, and you've been beyond gracious for such a big change. And I start with that this morning um, as a way to say thank you for loving us and welcoming us with open arms. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I thank you for helping us during a tough transition for our family, and it's, it was a help to us to have you there alongside with us. And I also use this anniversary as a way to introduce today's thought, and I, I, this is a message about transitions. And about 14 months ago, about two months before I actually became the installed pastor of Eastside, I stood at this pulpit on a Sunday night on the day that I candidated, and that was in June of, uh, I'm sorry, January, June, oh, we can cut that out, right? Okay, January of 2019, and... Uh, and I preached a message that Sunday night when I candidated called The Danger of Transitions. And I don't pretend that anybody remembers the message. I learned a long time ago that um, as a preacher, you think everyone will remember and most people don't. And that's okay. But I know that some will remember that message. And it's important because I believe that God wants me to preach that truth again this, today, this morning. And you say, well, why? I don't understand. We survived that major transition and... We came out for the most part unscathed, and the church is doing well, attendance is good, offerings are good, the spirit is good, so why? Well, obviously, we've entered into another time of transition, and this one is far less common than a pastoral transition. A pastoral transition is something churches go through quite often. You can get online and you can read um, steps to take during a pastoral transition, and you can see what people recommend and what works best and some things to do. I think the way that Pastor Spencer set it up, it was a, a great way to do it. He, he helped the transition immensely. But there aren't many uh, guidelines. There's no PDF documents to download online to say what happens during a pandemic and you can't meet as a church family. At least I haven't seen any of those. I imagine there will be some written after this. But this is a transition that none of us have seen before. And if you think about it, nothing today looks like it did two weeks ago. Uh, we've changed in a matter of days. I, and I, so I think I'm supposed to preach this message. I couldn't get away from it. 
because although you've heard it before and we survived one transition, it doesn't take away from the fact that there still is great danger in transitions. We risk loss during transitions and we must be on guard now more than ever. So I want to read Luke 22, if you would, if you could stand with me uh, here and at home. Luke 22, we're going to read just a few verses here. Uh, 31 is where we'll begin and read down through 34. Luke 22, 31, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the, thy brethren. And he said unto him, Peter, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day. Before that, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Peter's about to enter a period of time in which everything changes. It's a transition. And it is during this transition that Satan almost sifts him as wheat. He almost gets taken down. And I pray that this truth today will help us realize the danger that could be lurking for all of us in a period of time when everything is different. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to use the Word to speak to us this morning. Father, I love You and I'm grateful for the way that You continually provide for us. Today, Lord, I'm asking that You would speak through Your Word and we know that's how You speak to us and and I know uh, there are people in, in living rooms and around coffee tables and watching on devices. And, and I'm grateful for the way that we can connect here. But it, it is different enough that I think we might miss the truth. And we might think it's just something we have to do to watch. But this is a truth that you want to penetrate deeply into our hearts and search us. And help us to see where we might need to make an adjustment. Where we might, might need to be more on guard. Lord, help me to have the words, help me to convey it clearly. Use our time together to glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. People have been comparing, and maybe you've seen this comparison, but people are comparing this present situation with the coronavirus to the challenge our country faced during World War II. And I'm not going to get into all that. I don't know how far uh, I would take those comparisons because I can't speak from experience. My only experience with World War II is through the war movies that I used to watch with my dad as a kid. And the ones that I remember are the most are the POW movies, the, the prisoner of war stories. You know, the, the setting was always the same. The, the Americans are in a German prison camp and they're, uh, they're plotting their escape, and they've been digging a tunnel under the walls for months now, and it's almost ready, and now they just have to decide when to make their break. And the two things that I remember is, if I'm ever in a, that situation, I know you don't ever do it during the daytime, because you'll be seen, and you're always supposed to do it when there's a changing of the guard, because it is during that transition when the guards are just, uh, just distracted enough and they're not quite paying attention and there's a little window, there's a small window to escape. That window is open for just a short time. But it's always during that changing of the guard. During that transition when there's that shift change 
That's when the guards are not quite on guard like they normally are. There are opportunities for freedom in a transition if you're a prisoner. But if you're the guard, it's an opportunity for failure. See, and in life, when it comes to transitions, we're the guards. And how we treat a transition could result in failure if we drop our guard. And if you're not careful, this transitional period will be the time that you're distracted and and things look different and the schedule changes and things are up in the air just enough that you let your guard down and, and what took you years to build and what took you years to develop and you've been on your guard to protect for so long, now it just slips right under the wall. And how you deal with the transition either puts you at risk for failure or it sets you on the path to success. And please don't think I'm being overly dramatic because the text that we read is is a warning from Jesus Christ himself to Peter right before the biggest transition of Peter's life. And all the disciples here in Luke 22, they're about to deal with something they were not prepared for. Uh, Just a few verses later, Jesus Christ is arrested and he's put on trial and he's going to be sent to be crucified. These disciples had been following him for three years. Their pattern of life had been established. I mean, for over three years, think about it. For over three years, Jesus Christ was there every single day. Uh, their, their daily schedule was determined by when Jesus Christ woke up and, and what his father's plan for the day was. They essentially followed Jesus Christ around and did what he asked them to do. They, they served him, they followed him, and they were just on board with whatever Jesus said. Their whole schedule was set by Jesus Christ every single day. And now he's about to be taken away from them. So if you can imagine uh, having someone there that tells you what to do and where to go and how to think and explains things to you all day, every day, and now suddenly they're gone. Talk about a transition. Maybe that's happened to you where, where in the place that you work, you have someone that you rely on and depend on and they do a lot of things. And one day they're there and then... For some reason, maybe they quit or maybe they get fired. The next day they're gone and suddenly everyone's scrambling, right? You're trying to figure out, okay, what did they do in this regard? And, and they took care of this. I didn't, and then when something falls through the cracks, it's like, I didn't even realize they did that. You know, there, there are times where you lose somebody almost immediately like that and it just sends you scrambling. Maybe that's happened to you with a loved one and you lose somebody. I mean, in death, someone... It is there one day and the next day they're not. And, and it just sends you into a state. You're reeling. So that's what's happening here. The disciples are about to enter that period. That's what's coming. And I want you to read verses 31 and 32 again. Knowing that what is about to happen. It says in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So what's Jesus saying? And without Peter really knowing what's about to happen, Jesus is saying this. There's a major transition about to happen, Peter. And if you're not careful, it will either make you or break you. And honestly, this period of time just about breaks Peter for good. Jesus Christ had loomed so large in his life every day. Everything he did was about the Lord. He was all in. I mean, he'd laid down his nets as a fisherman He had left it all to follow the Lord, and then suddenly Jesus is gone, and Peter is obviously not ready for it. And and some messages, I just want to say this today, some messages are more messages of hope 
Today is a message, I believe, of help. It's a message of warning. See, east side, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Sift means to shake and shake so that it, you can separate the edible grain from the, from the chaff. And Satan wants to take us down spiritually. He wants to, shift, to, to sift us. He wants to shake us. And he wants us to see if we're ready for it. He wants to find out what we really are. And he wants to take us down spiritually, folks. He wants to render us ineffective for Christ. Ephesians 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there are forces out there, and they have been attempting to destroy this church all along. But especially right now, because things are different. Things are in transition. Things are up in the air. We're not together. We're isolated. I'm looking around. Even in this room, it's a picture of what's happening in our church. And that you have some over here and some here and some here. We're doing our part to socially distance ourselves from each other. But in some ways, it's, it's what we need to do right now. But in many ways, spiritually, that means we're, in, we're at the most risk. We're isolated. And Satan desires to shake us and sift us as wheat. And I imagine in Satan's mind, right now is sifting season. And he's looking at churches all over the planet, all over the world, and he says, it's time to get busy. We're going to sift as wheat. It's time to see if these, what these people are made of. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. Trust me, it's, this is not a, I'm not trying to make you afraid or fearful. We have no reason to be afraid because our God can deal with our greatest issues, the issues of sin. So anything underneath that is easy for him. So I'm not trying to make you afraid, but I am trying to warn you that you are being hunted. 1 Peter 5.8 says that Satan, like a roaring lion, walketh about, and he seeketh whom he may devour. The same verse says we have to be sober, and we have to be, which means we have to uh, be in our right minds. We have to be vigilant. We have to be aware. We have to be diligent and on our guard. And guess who wrote that verse? Peter. The same man who found himself the target of Satan, the sifter, in Luke 22. And so we should listen. From the time Satan targeted Eve in the Garden of Eden until he's released at the millennium and thrown into the lake of fire, Satan has one goal, and that is to destroy everything God has ever made, including his people. It includes me and you. Satan is on the hunt like a lion, and right now, many of God's people are leisurely standing at a water hole, and they're unaware of his sifting prowess. Ephesians 6 again says he's wily and he's crafty and he's throwing fiery darts. Folks, don't underestimate him. He's smart and he's sneaky and he has sifted many of God's people and God's churches because he attacks when our guard is down. And if we're not careful, it could happen during this sifting season. In our text, Jesus tells Peter, Satan wants to take you down. And, and it's like Peter doesn't realize the reality. He essentially says, Satan, ha, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. You know, Peter, the big talker, as he always is, but Peter is soon to find out a roaring lion is nothing to laugh at. And if Peter was susceptible, think about this. We would label, if we were going on the strength scale of, of, of Jesus Christ's disciples, we would put Peter right at the very top. 
And if Peter is all in and Peter is strong and Peter is committed and Peter is ready to take on the world and yet he was susceptible, then who do we think we are? Today I want to give you a simple message and that's three mistakes to avoid during sifting season. Three mistakes to avoid during sifting season. I'd recommend that you write these down just as a way to remember them. Three mistakes to avoid during sifting season. Mistake number one is allowing distance between you and Jesus. Allowing distance between you and the Lord. Look at verse 54 down Luke 22, 54. Christ has been arrested and they've taken him to begin trial. And it says down in verse 54, Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And look at the phrase here, And Peter followed afar off. Peter followed afar. He's already letting distance come between himself and Jesus. Peter had spent over three years right next to Jesus, right by his side during the transition, though suddenly there's space between them. See, very often the first thing to slip in a transition is your closeness with Jesus Christ. Your schedule is different. Things are up in the air. You're not working the same hours. Maybe right now you're not working at all and you've got more time at home and there's just less urgency to get things done. Eastside, your interactions with your church family, they're limited right now and, and the accountability is not as strong. You know, you know somebody's not going to ask you at church because you can't really come. Somebody's not going to ask you at church, you know, how you're doing or how's your Bible reading or, by the way, those are questions good church families ask of each other. And you should ask of that of each other. How's your Bible reading? Where are you at? How are you doing spiritually? I have people that ask that of me, and I'm thankful for it. But the accountability is less now. We've got Sunday school teachers in our, in our church, and right now you're not teaching a lesson. You don't, you don't have to get a lesson ready every week, and so you're not in the Word as much as you were. It just seems less urgent, and we're not technically even at church. And I know for myself, when I have a transition, or I'm in a transitional period, and things are a little bit different. I think about my vacations. And if I go on vacation somewhere, I'm just going to be honest and transparent. When I go on vacation, it's not as urgent as it normally is. I, I know I'm not, I'm not having to preach the next day or I'm not going to have someone stop by the office and, and want to visit or set something up. And, and so when I'm on vacation, I tend to let things slide a little bit more than I should. On vacation, if you're in transition. Your schedule is different. You don't have to wake up as early. You don't have as many things to do and you let things slip and that happens to many of us in that during a transitional period we're less on guard and the first thing typically to slip is our closeness to Christ our relationship with the Lord and let me just tell you this according to what's happening in Peter's life a transition is the worst time to allow distance between you and Jesus but it's often the first thing that we let go your walk with God is not dependent on whether or not you're in church or meeting with other people. Your walk, you walk with God because you love Him. And there's no relationship out there that you desire more than that. It shouldn't have anything to do with, with what we have coming up that day or that week. We should walk with God simply because we love Him. I mean, that, if nothing else, if, even more the knowledge of that Satan is lurking should be enough to keep you close to the only one that can protect you because you're most vulnerable during a transition. And folks, your own walk with God is the single most important activity in your daily life. 
If you let that slip, it's sifting season. And I tell you this as your pastor, because I know church is so important, and getting together is important, it's vital, and our fellowship is important, but your walk with God is the most important piece of your spiritual life. And if you let that slip, it's sifting season for you. Don't let it slip, especially right now. You need a closeness with the Lord. You need to walk with Him. You need to fellowship with Him because there are other things in your life that you're not getting in the same way. And it's all the more important right now. Have you let that slip? If you don't want to be sifted, you must refuse to allow distance between yourself and Jesus Christ during this period. Remember, we're talking about space, distance. And Satan, the great sifter, he's waiting for it. And I don't know much about lions and the way they attack, but I do know this. They don't typically jump right into the middle of the herd. A lion targets the outlier. The one that is straight a little bit too far away from the rest. And right now, there are a lot of isolated Eastside Baptist church members out there. Don't isolate yourself from your father during this transition. It's mistake number one to allow distance between you and the Lord. Mistake number two is sitting down in the wrong circle. Mistake number two, sitting down in the wrong circle. Look at verse 55. So Peter starts by allowing distance. And second, look at verse 55. It says, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. And you might say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Jesus was around believers all the time. And it's true that he was, but Jesus' reason for being around unbelievers was to reach them. He was telling them about their sin and telling them about God's judgment and telling them about God's love. But Peter is not soul winning here. Uh, Peter sees a fire and, and he goes and sits down among the world, the, those that weren't followers of Christ. And he's not telling them about, about the gospel. He's not giving them the message of hope. No, he's blending in. He's hiding out. In a transition, you might find yourself withdrawing from the people that you need the most. And you might find yourself leaving one circle and being drawn to another circle. And, and right now, some are thinking, well, church doesn't, just doesn't feel the same. And trust me, it doesn't feel the same to me either. I, uh, if I've learned anything the last couple of weeks is that I am not made to be a TV preacher. This is not a good look for me. <laughs> And I sit and watch the services just like you, but it's uncomfortable. And I, maybe it is for you too. Probably is. Church doesn't feel the same. I understand that. But some people are thinking, well, it doesn't feel the same, so it's not really a big deal if I engage or not. They're thinking it's not really a big deal if I don't watch on Wednesday nights. It's not a big deal. Or maybe some are thinking, I don't feel like having anybody over. I don't really want to mess with that today. And listen, that's not something we're forcing on people, but I think it's a helpful thing to have the fellowship and the accountability together. And I think everyone should be considering and praying about that part and being involved in it. But some are using it right now as an excuse to create distance, not just from the Lord, but from their circle. And some are saying, well, people don't care if I call or text or they're doing fine, I'm sure. I'm just going to kind of do my thing. No, I understand uh, when things are different, it's not easy to stay engaged and connected. But now's not the time to forsake the circle that is most interested in your spiritual life. See, there's no other circle out there 
There's nobody else out there that knows you and loves you enough to be interested in your spiritual life right now. You need the circle of people that God has placed you in uh, to maintain those. You need to maintain those relationships so that even during a time like this, uh, you've got some spiritual accountability and spiritual help. We don't need isolation from each other on a spiritual level. And yet, what's going to happen to some is they are distancing themselves, deliberately or not, from their circle, their church family. They're going to find themselves filling the void in other ways. Because we all crave that connection. We all look to fill the void with something. We need something to satisfy the need of friendship and fulfillment. I don't know if it's been this way for you, uh, but I don't know that I've ever appreciated the fellowship of God's people more than I have the last week and a half or so. I I find myself craving it, and I just never realized that I needed it so much. We need that fulfillment. We need that community. And most of us attach to a community somewhere, whether at school or in the workplace or, or neighbors or family and clubs and activities. And hopefully most listening today, you've done that through the church. But right now, you can't enjoy a face-to-face community. And so many of God's people are at risk of filling that void with things that aren't interested in helping you spiritually. And your time is going to be spent with Hollywood. And your time is going to be spent with music that you enjoy or just casual reading. And I'm not saying that all of that is wrong. um, But when we get to the place where that is our primary source... That's our primary circle, and we neglect the part, the circle that once that has interest in our spiritual lives. We will find ourselves being ready to get sifted. There are going to be others, and, and this is something that I just felt I ne- needed to say. There's a lot of anxiety out there right now. There's a lot of fear. All you have to do is is read the news or turn on the news, and you would you come away with anxiety, anxious times, lots of fear. There are some in our church that in their past they have depended on a substance or on alcohol to get them through those times before. And sometimes a church family is the way that you overcome that. Well, now that you're alone and now that you don't have the same accountability and you're dealing with anxiety and you're anxious and you've got fear, you might be tempted to turn back to that circle that's not going to help your spiritual life. And I'm imploring you, if you've come from that or you're tempted to go to that, that's the wrong circle to help you. Only the peace of God that passes all understanding can help you with your anxiety. Don't turn to a substance. Don't turn to some alcohol or liquid that you think is going to help you. You've got to be on guard right now, and I'm encouraging you, if you've had an issue with that before, call somebody, get some help, stay accountable to somebody. The point here is that you should not replace a spiritual circle with something inferior. The non-spiritual things are not going to benefit you in the long run, and yet those are what are crying out the loudest right now. Don't lose sight of what matters the most in this transition. That's your spiritual life. And I've known many good church members who for one reason or another backed off of their connection to their circle, to their local church, and they very soon found themselves being most heavily influenced by some circle out there that wasn't helping them with their spiritual life. Peter and the disciples, when the the transition happened, when Jesus was arrested, they ran different directions. They weren't together anymore. Peter left the circle he needed the most and he ended up around the world's fire. There was an appeal. It was warm. 
And uh, let me just say this, the world's fire will lo- always looks warm, but it also always burns you. Peter disconnected from the spiritual circle, and he sought comfort in a circle that didn't help him. This transition is not the time, folks. Eastside Baptist Church, this transition is not the time to detach yourself from the circle that's interested in your spiritual life. You must make the choice to plant your heart here. And you say, well, I can't be there, and that's fine. But your heart is the most important thing to plant right here. Plant your heart here, even if you can't stand here or sit here. Plant your heart at Eastside Baptist Church. Plant your heart next to your church family. Plant your heart right here until we can meet again. Don't detach right now. Attach more. Plug in through prayer. Make some calls. Send some texts. Write some notes. Minister to somebody in need. Teachers, reach out to those in your class. Do something to encourage or help them. I'm thankful even just this week at our home, we got an envelope. Jace got an envelope from his teacher, Miss Sandy, and it had the next few weeks' lessons in this envelope. Uh, and, and I'm just thinking that's, that's exactly what we need right now. We need teachers that love their students and want to maintain a connection. And Miss Sandy can't be around Jace, and she can't be, be around the other students in her class right now, but she can let them know with just something that small, she can let them know that she still loves them. And I'm telling you, Jace has felt more of a connection to his class since he got that envelope. Be careful of being drawn into a community that's not concerned about you spiritually. Transitions are dangerous. They make us think it's time for change. And maybe it's time to branch out. No, some of you will be sifted because you will very soon sit down in a circle where the lion is hunting. Satan's circling that fire that you sin. You may not see him, but he's around the outside. And you'll have no idea. So Peter's mistakes, number one, he allowed distance between himself and Christ. Number two, he sat down in the wrong circle. And mistake number three, he is choosing to blend in rather than be all in. Choosing to blend in rather than be all in. And Peter's confronted three times around the fire. Twice, or first by a young girl and then two, twice by two men. And they all identify him. They know him. I mean, he was Peter out front, vocal, bold. Look at verse 56. It says, A certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Here's bold Peter. Six verses before this, he was hacking people's ears off, and now he can't even admit he follows Jesus. See, as we did, I want you to pay attention. I want you to notice the, the trend, the, the process here. Peter first detached himself from Jesus Christ. And then he detached himself from the circle that could help him. And now we suddenly find him choosing to blend in rather than be bold. And that's the process that happens as we remove ourselves from Christ and remove ourselves from the circle that we need. We find ourselves not, no longer being committed to the cause that we're supposed to be standing for. Peter was all in a few verses before, and now look how quickly it fades. See, many in a time of transition, when our commitment level should rise, 
they back off. And now's not the time to fade into the background. A light still needs to be shined in this time of growing darkness. People need hope. And I can promise you they're not going to get it from the news media. I can promise you they're not going to get it from official announcements. They're not going to get it on Twitter. They're not going to get it on social media. They need to see some men and women who are all in for God still, even in the face of transition, that are shining like lights. They need to see it in you and I. What does being all in look like right now? Everything's different. I don't know. How can I be all in? Can't even come to church. Well, I know it's different, but like last week, you do what you can, you do all you can, and you do it with all your heart. Yeah, it looks different, but it's time to do all you can, what you can, with all your heart. There should be nothing that comes before your walk with God right now. Start there. There's no excuse good enough to keep you from watching the services and praying for your church. You say, how can I be all in? And if you're not taking the time to spend time watching the service and being in the Word with your church family then I, I question whether you're all in. You say right now there's no valid reason to keep you from inviting people over for a service and fellowship. There's no good reason not to send a note or call somebody or encourage a brother or sister in the Lord. It's time for us to look outward. We can still be lights in our neighborhoods and with our community and with people that we know, even if they're not part of this church. Get creative in ways that you can minister to other people in a time that things are severely limited. Get creative. What I'm hoping is that this situation, folks, and I want you to really tune in right here. What I'm hoping is that this situation helps us to see that we have taken for granted how easy it's been to follow God in this country. So when you can't even invite somebody to church like you can't right now because you can't even leave the house and you've got to stay six feet away, that should help us wake us up and realize that we have let countless opportunities to witness pass us by. Maybe this will leave us saying, there's no soul I won't stop to witness to as soon as all this is over. When you can't go to church, suddenly you start to value it more. You miss the fellowship. And I'm hoping right now that this process, this timeline, what we're going through, it will help summon our church to decide when things come back to normal. They're going to say, I'm not going to sit at home like I used to. I'm not going to use small excuses to not attend my, my local church and not be a part of my church family. I'm not going to come up with reason after reason and sit back because maybe right now you're valuing what you, what you were missing and you didn't even realize you would miss it. Maybe right now you'll make a decision and say, yes, I was not as committed as I used to be and I wasn't even coming Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. You're saying, but now that I know how much I miss it, I'm not going to miss a service with my church family when we can get back together. See, I was a Sunday morning uh, only at, for a while, but now when I can get back, I'm telling you, I will be there Sunday night and Wednesday night. I've heard someone say to, before, it's three to thrive. You can't really survive just one time. You've got to come and be a part, and maybe right now you're realizing that you were missing out on it and you didn't even realize it. Suddenly, then, I'm hoping right now that this situation will cause some of us to that ministry that maybe you'd lost the heart for. Maybe you'd do anything now to get back into it. This should cause us to say, when things are normal again, I won't treat my ministry like a drudgery anymore. I'm not going to wait till Saturday night to study for my lesson. I'm going to start early. I'm going to give it the very best I can. Because now that I can't do it, I realize how much I miss it. 
Maybe this will help us not take for granted the people that God has brought into our lives. Maybe you're in the habit when you come in and you just kind of go to your seat and when it's over you leave and you miss the people that God has given you the opportunity to be a part of a church with. And you're saying, when I get back, I'm not going to walk by that person anymore. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to reach out to them and spend time in real fellowship, real conversation. What does all in mean? Well, all in means that there's nothing that God asks of us that's too much. And you say, well, that's radical. Things are different. I mean, you can't do it the way you did. I know. But let's not forget that God was all in for us. See, he sent his son to die on a cross for every sin we will ever commit. Jesus Christ is equal with God, and, and yet he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And I just say this to you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do it this morning. You can do it in the living room that you're sitting in. You can do it right there through the device that you're looking at. The message of the gospel is coming through. And if God is prompting, the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart through the preaching today, and you say, I've never received Christ as my Savior. I've never placed my faith in that. Let me just tell you, number one, you are a sinner. You are in a lost condition, and you are separated from God because of your sin. And there's no way for you to make up the gap this morning. You can't do it of your own. It's not about works. It's not about baptism. It is only through the payment that Jesus Christ made on the cross. That is the only thing that can pay for your sins. And right now, the consequence and the guilt of your sin separates you from God. And if you die today, you'll spend eternity separated from Him. But all you have to do is place your faith in the payment that He made for you on the cross. And yes, things are different and we're not together, but somebody in their living room could be saved this morning if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll admit your sin to God, receive Him as your Savior, receive His payment. He was all in for you. Don't let His sacrifice go to waste by ignoring or rejecting the payment that He made for you. For the Christian this morning, God was all in for you. And yet it's hard and it's different, but when you consider the cross, and you consider the price that he paid for you, you're not going to have to have me standing here and coming through your TV screen telling you to be motivated to stick with it. Because when you for yourself get a glimpse of all that he paid for you, that's motivation enough. Folks, there's a lion And he's watching for the ones that aren't as serious as they ought to be. They aren't all in. And as soon as he can, it's sifting season. Folks, if you want to come through this transitional season of sifting, I'm going to say it positively now. We looked at Peter's mistakes. I'm going to go the opposite way and say it positively. Here are the three ways to come through this season of sifting. Stay close to Christ. Stay connected to this circle. And stay committed to the cause. Stay close to Christ. Stay connected to this circle. And stay committed to the cause. Well, what happened to Peter? Well, he made mistakes, plenty of them. But in verses 61 and 62, look what it says. 
And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Say, that doesn't give me much hope. No, here's the process. He remembered the word of the Lord. And and then he responded with repentance. See, that's why in the end he wasn't sifted, and he still had things to work through, but God's word took effect, and Peter responded correctly. See, when you find yourself allowing distance, or you find yourself in the wrong circle, or you find yourself not being all in, some truth that you've heard along the way will come to your mind, and I'm imploring you to listen to it. Let God's word bring you back. It's never too late. You're never too far. God can reach you where you are. He doesn't cast us off just because we fail. If there was hope for Peter, there's hope for you. And as a matter of fact, God allowed Peter to be the key figure in the early days of that first New Testament church in Jerusalem. Countless souls were saved directly from his preaching that went out and multiplied themselves and others and multiplied themselves and and perpetuated the faith all the way down. We can trace our roots right back to the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost when it really exploded. Our roots go right back to that. Listen, Peter wasn't cast aside. He was actually used because he came through the sifting season. God is looking for followers that won't fade out during this transitional sifting season. He's looking for those that will stay close to Christ, stay connected to the circle, and stay committed to the cause. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.